Welcome to episode 138 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Linger, joined this week by Ryan Topp and Paul Noonan. We're coming to you a little later than normal. Uh, we took a day off because of Mother's Day, so we hope everyone out there had a good and safe Mother's Day. We're happy to be joining you as we record this on Monday afternoon. We are sponsored this week by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know they're great beers like their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. And as we get closer to the summer, even though it snowed in Madison on Mother's Day, they're also making hard seltzers, so check those out. The next time you're in Madison, stop by the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on the east side for some curbside pickup. You can also show your support by ordering from them directly at carbon4.com. While you're there, you can also get a discount on their merch. Just use our promo code MKETailgate. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also support our podcast network at patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You'll also get Paul's reporting as eligible Packers mini pods. And uh, speaking of that minor league extra podcast, towards the end of the pod today, we're actually going to be giving you a sneak peek, a preview of Brad and Ryan's interview with a Brewers 29 draft pick, Nick Bennett. So stay tuned for that at the end of this episode. Our patrons also get question priority here on the program and you get a personal shout out on the podcast when you become a patron so for once guys we're actually doing this after breaking news break so we're gonna actually be a little bit more relevant this time instead of speculating we can talk about what actually happened as of monday afternoon the mlb owners officially approved a proposal for basically getting back to uh the game and and sort of laying out the groundwork for what their return in July would look like. So among those provisions, a lot of those schedule details were hammered out, but the big issue I think everybody's going to be talking about and I think where we're going to be spending a lot of our time today is the money factor. Uh, so if you remember back in March, the players agreed to accept prorated salaries for whatever portion of the games that they're going to be playing this year. Uh, now owners, there's talk that they want to further those pay cuts because fans won't be in the stands to start the year. So obviously that takes a big cut out of the revenue. Uh, What they're actually proposing with this plan that they approved today is a revenue split, which would actually be a first for baseball proposing a 50, 50 revenue split between the owners and the players. It's being widely reported that uh, this is an issue that the players don't really want to talk about, at least when it comes to uh, giving up more of their salaries. And there's some fear that by, accepting the revenue sharing is kind of like the first step towards maybe a salary cap in the future. So I want to start with this and I want to ask Paul firstly about this. You've got some background in this kind of stuff. Uh, So I guess, what are your thoughts about this proposal and where do you see it going, Paul? So um, I guess as someone who's generally on the side of the players in these negotiations, because why don't be on the side of billionaires? um, It it is literally a salary cap that the NFL salary cap is literally this it's it's set by the players getting a share of the revenue the owners getting a, a share of the revenue and um all of the cap accounting is based on the share that the players get like that is what sets the cap when there's more revenue it goes up when there's less it goes down which is likely to happen this year so um this is always great pr by ownership because it seems very fair up front um you know there's two sides they get 50 50 or close to it and Everybody's happy. Um, it's even Stevens, whatever. But for one thing, one side has way more people on it than the other side. One side is contributing way more to the actual game than the other side, that being the players. So it's you know it sounds fair, but it's really not. Um, not in the least of things. And 
the second thing is this is very much dirty pool by the baseball owners for two reasons. One of which is they've already negotiated salary um, proration with the players. This has already happened. And this in particular is bad because revenue this year is going to be way down no matter how you count it. Um, right. There's a lot that goes into baseball valuation. Like um, baseball will continue to exist for a while because there is so much money there um, as a live sport that can be on TV all the time. But for this season, revenue is just going to be super crashed. And the the owners also have a, a huge amount of control over what they let out in terms of what the revenue is. Like we don't have a good notion as to what the revenue actually is in baseball. Like uh, there, there are organizations that guess like Forbes. There's organizations that have, you know, some idea, but there are a lot of different avenues of income that come in. There's local, there's national, there's, you know, gates, there's Jersey sales, there's all kinds of things. Baseball does not tell us what that is. Like football is in an odd place because they actually can't hide as much as they would like. Thank goodness. Because of actually the Packers, the Packers being a publicly owned franchise uh, are required to disclose their books every year and do much to the chagrin of the rest of the NFL. Well, and that's why every other league has rules against any sort of agreement like the Packers ever coming to fruition in their leagues, right? That's correct. Yes, that is exactly correct. Um, That is why public ownership is banned in all other leagues and in the NFL from ever happening again. Um, Nobody wants that. Well, that's not true. Lots of people want that information out there, just not the people who actually are in control of it want it out there. This sounds, you know, it's one of those proposals the, um, the uh, baseball owners are very good at this. Uh, this is PR. It sounds fair when the players push back on it. They'll look like jerks because they're they're pushing back on 50-50. They're, it's going to be like, whoa, they want more than 50-50. But keep in mind, they were going to make more than 50% of revenue this year because revenue is going to be down. They had already given concessions to help um, baseball get through this. And this is exactly what James stated up front. It's testing out a salary cap. That sounds fair to everybody, but is not fair. It would be a a massive mistake by the players to take this. And I've already seen a lot of people on Twitter saying, oh, we might have baseball back soon based on this announcement. That's the exact opposite conclusion you should be drawing. This is much more likely to make baseball take longer to come back than than sooner. 100%. Yeah, and right. Tony Clark has already gone out and said that this is they're not even willing to discuss the salary thing because that was already dealt with in this last negotiation. And that that was something that the players gave massive concessions in that negotiation to help baseball get through that initial bump of, you know, the, the whole thing starting up of, yeah. of the shutdown starting and all of that. And that was a thing that the, the owners put in place. And now they want to go back on that. And that like one thing that I saw that was very compelling. Craig Calcaterra brought this up in his piece that he wrote about it, I think, on Sunday, where he pointed out that when the owners have a great year when they make more money than they expect, when everything falls together and they have a, you know, a huge windfall of, of profit. They don't give extra money to the players. They don't come out and like hand out extra bonuses for, well, we just made all this extra money last year. So here have all this extra money. They pay out the contracts that they had previously agreed to, to give out. And so now when they turn around and say, well, we, we have this difficulty and we expect that you're going to help us out with it again, as Paul pointed out, without really providing proof, without providing you know substantive information about exactly how bad this is for them and how much it's going to affect their long term outlook. You can't take any of this at face value from them. No, nope. I mean, it may it probably is true that the ownership would 
playing under the the idea of you know paying playing the players prorated salaries would probably be very difficult for them. Like it would be taught it would be difficult. But why should they be immune to difficulties when everybody is dealing with difficulties? Like why 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 should they be a special protected class exactly. in, in this case? Yeah, they uh, and by the way, they have had years over expectations in the recent past. It, it's it's not as if I have like zero sympathy because there's not going to be people coming in for a while. They're not going to take in as much money, but they're in a much better position to absorb this than the players. Not that the players are poor either. They're not, they're not, but they are using this opportunity to extract more from the players than they otherwise would be able to. They are, they are absolutely trying to capitalize on it. This is not about survival of the owners. Honestly, who cares if owners survive, (laughs) there's ways to make baseball go on. I'm sure that there is a line of billionaires um, who would happily buy teams if these billionaires went bankrupt. So th- this is them capitalizing on the situation. It's nothing more than that. It, this is not like, oh, for the good of the game, we have to do this to keep it going. Not true at all. And the Players Union, I think, is smart to recognize that. Hopefully they're, they do better job with PR than they usually do. And <laughs> hopefully they, they do a good job framing this as a salary cap. And if they, you know, if they were to accept it, they frame it as a massive concession and fight back on that. But I don't, I don't know that the owners are very good at this. So I suspect we'll have our normal rubes out there blaming millionaire players and not looking at the billionaires who are, you know, going after them here. Right. I mean, you don't get to be a billionaire by being stupid in these kind of things, right? Like, absolutely always- not. There's always something in these negotiations that you take away. Like you never give up anything without getting something in these kinds of things. And I, you know, I'm I'm guessing, you know, and it's not just cynicism. I think uh, there's pretty much no chance the owners did not run these numbers before they put out this proposal. Right. Like they they were sure that they would stand to come out ahead of this um, as opposed to the prorated salaries issue. Like uh, knowing that I think I've seen some of the projections that I think at best i think they're expecting like a 40 percent drop in revenues this year and i think that you know might be optimistic. i think it's probably going to be more than that and, exactly uh, so so and you know when, they've been running these with... numbers for for weeks if not months oh, right. at this point like they've been yep. they've been working on contingencies hell they i'm sure had something like this in mind there was a a hatching of this at least out there when they were negotiating the deal in the first place in march knowing that they wanted I'm to get sure. that first thing taken care of and then they were going to go for more and they will continue to go for more as much as they can get away with. The public says, no, stop, or the union somehow forces them and forces their hand. And we'll get into that more later. But you know, right. they're going to try to get as much as they possibly can. That's how they got to be billionaires who own baseball teams in the first place is by maximizing yeah, yeah. profits nope. and minimizing cost. That's the game. It's not baseball related, but someday maybe on a, pay, a behind the paywall podcast i'll tell my evil billionaire story and um, <laughs> why why i actually have have a reason to hate billionaires so uh, but not not for this one it, it's uh it's too too much of a stretch right so you know yeah. most billionaires are evil and um it just just at a high level um and this goes for every single baseball billionaire that there is um once you have a billion dollars you have no risk of any future investments you will always be a billionaire going forward um, and whether you do well in your business or poorly in your business, you will continue to be a billionaire. So um, screw that. That's very un-American, and I hate that. Right. And aside from the personal wealth of these guys owning the teams, right, I think just based on the TV contracts alone, you know, they're 
there's no reason for them to not be able to pay these prorated salaries nope. or even um, like the full salaries this year, right? Like, so the idea here that uh, they're offering this revenue split as a way to kind of clamp down salaries in the future, you know, I don't think it's paranoia on the on the players union part. They've been looking out for warning signs of a salary cap for decades now. Probably, as Paul said, a pretty clear indicator because this is literally the way every other league in the country works. It is, it, it is a salary cap, and it shouldn't be called anything other than that. Revenue split is just bad language controlled by the union already. They should they should have people out there right now calling it a salary cap, saying they're trying to implement salary cap right now. Um, that's what this is. I like, mean, the problem with that, though, is that a lot of people in the United States think that every league should have a salary cap. I hear That's all the time true. that people think baseball, how does baseball not have a salary cap? They all should have salary caps. Yep. So how you'll never have competitive balance doing that. The Yankees win every year. Like, of course, none of these things are true and small market teams in baseball win all the time, actually at a higher rate than salary cap sports for a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for that in the NBA with capped salaries. It means that the incentives are for players to go play with their friends and in nice weather, um, which they do. And that's why you have super teams that always win. And in football, uh, the salary cap just really just helps out the smarter teams more than anything else. Um, but it, it, there's more the most parity exists in baseball. Salary caps are stupid and evil and um, should not exist. So, and, and the Yankees have won a World Series in ten years. So. Salary caps are uniquely American, by the way. Yep. Um, most most sports in most parts of most of the rest of the world don't have them, and players make a lot more money, and billionaires make a lot less. Well, I referenced it last week. If you look at European soccer, they expect their owners to build their own stadiums mm-hmm. and not to get public subsidies, and they expect that the uh, that basically. In American sports or in in the United States, we expect capitalism in our society and socialism in our sports. And in Europe, they demand socialism in their in their uh, their lives and they abhor it in their sports. It's completely the reverse. Yeah. So we've kind of touched on this topic already. I think Paul even mentioned it outright. But Ryan, uh, just how much of this is kind of just setting up the players for a PR disaster here if no games are played. It's like, you know, we saw the headlines all today. Everybody's joyous with the headlines. Baseball could be, you know, owners come back with plan to bring baseball back. And uh-huh. then tomorrow we're going to have these negotiations and they're going to come away with no deal. So I guess, Ryan, how much do you feel this is just kind of setting up the players to kind of take the brunt of the PR? Oh, it really is in a lot of ways. And this is incredibly cynical from a lot of those perspectives because there's yep. an excellent chance that, and we'll get into all this stuff later, but there's an excellent chance that they're not ever going to be ready to do anything approaching playing baseball this year, just from a, a logistical standpoint, that it won't be possible to do this. But because the demands are being placed on them from on high, and this gets into political territory, but I mean, look, the president of the United States, the uh, majority leader of the Senate are putting pressure on sports leagues to come back because they want normalcy. They want to sell this idea that things are getting better and that things are are OK. And they're putting a ton of pressure on this. And if baseball is going to fail, they want to be able to point to a labor force, you know, particularly a labor force that has a lot of minorities in it. And they're going to be able to point to them and say, it's their fault that you don't have what you want. And this is a game that's been played for decades now. I mean, this isn't new where you, you, the ownership of a sport 
through uh, through the media and through their own PR apparatus points to the players and say, hey, it's their fault that you aren't getting baseball. It's their fault. Blame them and direct your anger towards the these players as opposed to us, the owners who demand that we you build us stadiums with taxpayer dollars and they're going to point to the players and and have that blame. And there are plenty of politicians in this country, including the one who currently lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, who are going to be more than happy to point right at that and and take that bait. So this is an incredibly cynical ploy. Well, in baseball, um, the, the owners, they do think long term, they have an upcoming labor negotiation to deal with. And this is setting up for that in um, aside. They, they probably know there's like a very good chance they won't have a season this year. And the more they can start tarnishing the players now, the more they can extract from them when that eventually comes around. They're very good at this. Like, that's why when you think about past labor stoppages, you think about strike. That's the term that goes into your head. That's the, the, the term you used to blame players. A lot of them are lockouts. Like <laughs> Most of them, of them have been lockouts. The, most of them are lockouts. Lockouts are started by ownership, not by the players. Um, when lockouts happen, the players are usually willing to play under the existing terms. So... They're great at this game. Um, they are great at framing this always as the player's fault. They're going to start now so that when actual negotiations come around, they can point to the player's intransigence as being why baseball didn't happen and why it's an extended now um, stoppage. So, yeah, it's very cynical. It's not surprising. That's one of the ways you get to be billionaires by being kind of a psychopath and uh, and t- targeting your enemy and trying to destroy them. So. That is unsurprising, and it is what's happening right now. And again, this is out of whether baseball happens this year is completely out of their control. Um, unless they have an announcement that they've come up with a vaccine, then th- this is all BS. Um, that's the t- testing and cures is the only way they can actually safely proceed with playing games. Um, maybe testing will get high enough that they'll actually be able to put this plan into place. But aside from those two things happening, they can announce all the plans they want. And by the way, this is like the fourth podcast in a row where we've talked about a plan to reopen baseball. So they do just keep announcing all, plans. All, all slightly time. different too, <laughs> yes. by the way. Yeah. Like remember when we were talking about the Arizona only league, like a yes. few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this, this keeps happening. They do keep announcing plans to reopen baseball because they know people like to hear about plans for reopening baseball, but there's not, I mean, in, in, unless science helps them, it's just talk. Right. And I, I think kind of going back to this whole PR battle, uh, you guys mentioned, uh, you know, the salary cap idea. Um, you know, if if you tend to be more friendly towards the labor force, you you know, you see them as bad things. But I think you know, all the polling would show a, I don't know if a majority, but a lot of fans would say, yeah, I like salary caps. People love uh, salary caps. It's, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and and kind of tied to that point. And kind of related to this PR battle, I think if you were to ask a lot of people, a lot of fans would already tend to see the players as the greedy ones in this situation, not necessarily the owners. Yep. And I think to your guys' point, that goes back to, you know, decades of of labor strife that the owners have been good at this for a while. They've kind of implanted that thought into the heads of a lot of people. And, you know, just as an American society, we tend to put more on the shoulders of the worker than maybe the higher ups. Um, I will say, though, that it's gotten better on this front. I think that baseball media, if you go back and I'm not old enough to remember, you know, like Dick Young writing in 1981 about what a greedy 
you know, ass Marvin Miller was or whatever. But from what I understand, the baseball media was generally pretty anti the players union for a very long time. And this tracks all the way to like the 1994 strike. I think it's considerably different now. The The baseball covering media particularly is I'm not going to say they're without fault and without problems here, especially the larger entrenched operations are going to have more issues. But there's a lot more people that are more willing to criticize this for what it is in the baseball media than I think in the past. That's true. So there is something, you know, like there there's going to be a battle over this and there will be people speaking on the side of the players here in ways maybe that we wouldn't have seen in the past, at least. Sure. Or at least asking the tougher questions of of the folks in charge, you know, which is kind of more the role of a traditional journalist as opposed to the sports journalist who just shows you know i don't want to make those stereotypes but you know you know i think it's it's you know the idea of asking the tougher questions i think is kind of becoming more prevalent which is i think always a good thing but you know i may be biased in that regard <laughs> um, but you know like kind of to my point before removing politics even i think a lot of people or a lot of fans would set to are set up to kind of see the players as the, the bad side in this um, and you know the owners aren't stupid and I think we're going to see that kind of play out over the next few days and weeks and and so on um, especially if it starts to look like there won't be baseball this year and then next year that the worries about the uh, CBA negotiations and a lockout or a strike or what have you kind of leads us to our first question of the day Mad Max asked us on Twitter uh, kind of an apocalyptic question uh, in a way. But basically, he says, if there's no season this year and no season next year because of the lockout or strike, what are the odds of the league just folding and the sport never returning? I think we're, we're all kind of in agreement that I'll might go. be taking it a little bit far. But I know, yeah. Paul, you had uh, ideas for this. Sure. The odds are zero. And the reason the odds are zero is because it is exceedingly likely that there will be a vaccine for this at some point. And there is enough money to be made by running a professional baseball league that there will be the will and desire, even in a very bad case scenario, to keep it going and reactivate it once that happens. I mean, it, it, hockey almost died once. There was about a, an 18-month or longer hockey shutdown due to poor economics of hockey. And it turns out there's enough hockey fans that it came back. So it, it takes a... To kill an actual league off takes a really, really long time. Baseball is not even close to those kinds of dire straits. And, I mean, frankly, they're one of the best set-up leagues to have fanless games because of just the way that baseball works is background noise, live programming, and once again, getting ads into people's ears. So, yeah, that you haven't seen the last baseball game at all. Um, there is an end to the, the virus at, at some point. Um, it, some point, people will either have had enough of it that they'll get their own immunity, or will have a, a vaccine and convey immunity. At which point, life can go back to pretty much normal. So um, that that will happen at some point, and everything will start to come back. Just a matter of the devastation that happens in the meantime, and that will not be enough to wipe out baseball. Maybe some other things, but not baseball. Yep, I would agree down the line with that. The only way that this is not happening is if the entire society crumbles and. I, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So, but fingers crossed. I think uh, another aspect, though, I think what Max might, might be trying to get at is like we're heading into at least a couple of years of really rocky CBA stuff, too. Is that enough to like turn 
significant amount of people away i guess maybe not to shut down the league but are you worried at all about okay (laughs) i mean you saw some of that after like the 94 strike and stuff and people swore up and down they never watched baseball and then you know 1998 it was fine um and people can say that all they want but they'll come back once it's on again also like in the summer and there's not really a baseball competitor um you know it one thing that really killed hockey is basketball's descent. They play at exactly the same time. They compete for ESPN contracts and uh, primetime programming. Um, baseball's got a lot more leeway there. They they bleed into other sports at the beginning and end, but it's not the main part of their season. Uh, and baseball's had so much labor strife. We've already done this. Like We know it comes back every time because it comes back every time. <laughs> right. so, so, yes, it'll be fine. It'll come back. They'll, they'll get a deal worked out, and the owners will probably win because they all often do, and it, then there'll be baseball again. Right. Uh, well, we just spent a, a good 20 minutes or so talking about kind of the economics of this situation, uh, but noticeably absent, I think, from a lot of these proposals, at least the stuff that's been leaked out as of uh, Monday afternoon is there's very little in the way of addressing uh, player and not even just player, but like staff safety too. when it comes to uh, a lot of the issues you guys mentioned when it comes to the testing, the tracing, the quarantining protocols, Sean Doolittle had a series of tweets kind of raising these issues too. Um, uh, And he's not the only player that uh, either has kind of a history of health problems or in his case, uh, you know, loved ones that he's worried about too. So I guess Ryan, what do you want to see come out of this? What needs to be in this proposal? Do you think before the players kind of move forward? I mean, there's so much that has to happen in terms of just the public health in the United States generally before we can actually get to this point. And if they're going to just throw players out there and say, hey, go ahead and risk your lives and the lives of your loved ones and your health and your long term outlook, because as Doolittle pointed out in that thread, that there are some things that go along with COVID, even if it's not necessarily fatal that if an athlete contracts it it could damage their ability to play baseball at a high competitive level so there's all kinds of health issues that go along with this and there aren't really answers for that and the ownership from what it looks like and from what some people who have had you know contact with people who've seen more of the details there isn't a lot of that in this. This is not that. This is not a how are we going to get back on the field? This is purely about divvying up the money, which is what ownership wants to do first. And to me, I've already kind of talked about this, but what that kind of says to me is that they are probably thinking that this is a thing that they can fight with the union on and potentially end in a stalemate and end up not having to go ahead with this other stuff because they know they can't do it anyway yep. and that it's going That's to be exactly really difficult. What it is. And I mean, that that's really cynical, but just the reality of the situation of where we stand, it's going to be incredibly difficult for this to to happen unless we see some just massive changes going on yeah. in, in what's trending in the United States right now in terms of people who have it and the, the rate of growth and all this stuff. Like we're we're so far away from that. And so we'll, the money isn't we'll going to change that. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how good the union's lawyers are here and if they've made any improvements since last time, because there's a good and bad way to handle this and the stupid way to handle this, which is what I suspect will happen. will okay. They may just say they may just get into financials. That's the worst thing they can do. They'll look like idiots. The second worst thing they can do is say, um, we're not playing unless you do all the safety stuff because 
they look less like idiots. Um, but to half the country, they look like idiots. You know, the dumb half that protests all the time outside with no masks on. And to um, a good chunk, they'll still kind of look like the bad guys where they're not willing to make some risk, take some risks and sacrifices. What they should be doing is say, we're on board with this plan. All we want is a whole bunch of extra safety stuff. We want all these tests and all these masks provided to everybody we know and our family and some investment in getting all of the testing out for other people and testing for all the people who work there and masks for all the people who work there. Like what they need to do is positively push back on the ways that this plan could work, basically calling MLB's bluff on it uh, and really attack it from that. Then they start to look like the good guys. And, and then the owners start to look like, the guys who won't pay for safety equipment. And that's what the, that's how this should be framed by the players union. Um, they should have a bunch of representatives out there saying, Oh, we like that. Uh, the owners have been proactive about this. We want to get back on the field too. Here's what we think we need to have it happen. We we'll even put some costs behind it. Like we think it'll take, you know, to a $25 million repeatedly for these billionaires to pay to make all this happen with, you know, extra testing and extra masks. And if we get all that, then we can get back on the field and, you know, see what they say to that. Yeah, you practically read my mind here because that's exactly what I was thinking is you have to the safety thing is fraught. And I think that the, I said this on Twitter yesterday in a conversation with somebody and it there is a lot of wiggle room on the safety side to really like, uh, I think, reasonably disagree because there are these varying levels like on one hand, saying that players should have to go out and play when there's these risks is it's something I certainly don't agree with. And I, I would never say, Hey, you owe it to us to like give us baseball or something. But at the same time, there are millions of people who are basically being forced out to risk their health and life so that the society can go on and we can have food supplies and yep. basic things Absolutely. that society needs to continue. So I understand that that's a very fraught issue. And like the, the thing Casey Sogard brought up a couple weeks ago, where she's talking about her family and, it, it gets into all these really thorny areas, but I think the important part here is that, yeah, the players really do need to hammer this as being about safety because that's the part that's not addressed here. And quietly, that's the part that's more relatable to the fans, too. I'm exactly. sure right. you, you, you think about the people who want to get back to work, but they want to do it safely. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, how many people out there? are wondering what their employers are going to do to keep them safe once they go back to work. I think that's kind of the relatable issue, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah, and there aren't good answers for that stuff at this point and probably for quite a while in the future. So, But if the, if the players' union hammers on the safety side of this and quietly behind the scenes argues about money, that's, that's the part you do yep. quietly behind the scenes. You argue it about is. the money behind the scenes. You publicly, it's all about... This needs to be and it, it don't even frame it as an issue for the players, because for every player, there's going to be what, five, 10, 15 support staff that are going to need right. to be. Those are the you guys know. you need to put front and center. Yes. Um, Clubhouse yeah. folks, people. Yeah. yeah. Everybody you working can, it's around actually, them. the people working you, the cameras, you, announcers. Yeah, if you frame this right, it's an opportunity for the players to recruit a bunch of non-millionaires to their side and not even, you know, voluntarily, just just by who the face of this is and like. You know, you, you think about like they should grab like literally an old beer vendor from Miller Park and be like, we, we don't want this guy to die. We, we want to make sure he's OK. Um, and fans won't be there, but we want to make sure guys like him are taken care of and we have proper safety equipment and like for us, for our families, for everybody who supports staff and not, everybody, you know, they might be in the best shape of their lives and not at huge risk of dying from it, even if they have, you know, still plenty of risk. But that's not true of cameramen and vendors and guys who are holding boom mics and you know clubbies and things like that so 
um, there's there's a good, there's a good way for the players to to combat this, and uh, I, I frankly bring something productive to the conversation because I don't think what the owners have done is actually very productive. It's it's, it's just, worrying about their interest, which is their pocketbook. Yeah, exactly. Right, and I think a lot of the individual players have done maybe a better job than Tony Clark or the MLBPA's PR folks could do about this too, because they're able to relate to that on a person-to-person level, mm-hmm. whether that's through Twitter or whatever. You you know you see what Sean Doolittle said. Uh, there was a few other players too today. I can't think of the names now, but you know uh, you had Buster only retweeting all these guys who are saying that this is fine. Like the money's not acceptable either, but there's literally nothing about the health factor. And when you consider guys like, uh, you know, Brad's brought up Carlos Carrasco from the Indians. He's a leukemia survivor. Like he's literally probably the most at risk person here about yep, he this, is. you know, Anthony Rizzo, John Lester, both beat lymphoma. Uh, Ken Rosenthal had an article today. David Dahl had his spleen removed, which makes him super at risk for any sort of thing. Yep. And all these guys are saying, you know, we'll come back, we'll play. I trust our medical staff. They'll tell me if it's not all right. But at the same time, you know, for every handful of those guys, you've got the folks out here saying, like, I'm not comfortable. And, you know, I think part of what this plan needs to do is kind of address that, too, because how do you maybe this is more of a rhetorical question than one for you guys to chime in. But but like, how do you how do you handle the players who don't want to play? Like, how do you handle somebody on your 25 man or I guess 30 man roster now saying, you know, I don't feel comfortable here. I'm not going to come. Right. And and how do you deal with the idea of coercion? Because players, there is this culture among athletes that says, you know, you get your ass on the field and you play no matter what. And you do it for your teammates and you do it like this isn't like an honor code that goes back in athletics forever. Anybody listening to this knows this. And for players to back out of from playing because they're worried about personal safety and personal risk is going to be viewed by at least some other players as unacceptable, which means there's like inherent inherent coercion in this whole thing. Just the idea of, of bringing it up that and saying we're going to play, even if you say, hey, player, you don't have to play if you don't want to. That player is still going to feel pressured to do it, especially think about good players. You know, if Christian Yelich said, hey, look, this is there. There's extenuating circumstances with me and my my close family and whatever. And this is not a risk that I'm willing to take. You know what the reaction of many, many, many millions of people is going to be to that. So all of a sudden he can't go outside and have normal life anymore. So, I mean, once it happens (laughs) right now, right now, that's everybody. But soon it'll be everybody. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, we've talked about this issue in the previous weeks with all of these um, proposals, too. The main question that's not being ad- answered, I guess, with this proposal, at least from what we've seen again, how do you how does the league handle when a player, not it necessarily if, because the odds say when somebody yep, gets COVID. So I think that's also something, too, that really needs to be outlined. Um, you know, we haven't really seen anything on that at all, whether it's, you know, like, injured listant for for a covid infection but then you know how do you handle that one how often and if a player gets it if a player gets it and is tested positive for it on the team shouldn't that whole team be quarantined for the next two weeks yep it should like that's so now like you're just shut down so now that the schedule can't go forward with that team right and i think you know uh Bob Nightingale from USA Today kind of had the initial report on all these details. And at the very end of his article, there was that note that, you know, MLB is, of course, saying this is all fluid and subject to change. And I think Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> what we kind of need to be prepared for is, and I think um, Rosenthal and a few others had said, all these ideas are kind of contingent on the idea of, or one of the things they need to figure out is what happens if a team can't play for two weeks, like uh, if the entire team is quarantined or if they can't travel out of their home stadium for that road trip or what have you. Uh, these are a lot of the issues that still kind of need to be uh, figured out. So, uh, you know, a lot of unanswered questions, at least with that stuff. Uh, and, and how do you have a playoff race when some team may end up with 20 fewer games because they were quarantined? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like these are the weird scenarios that we kind of have to wrap our brains around and kind of realize that by no means is this going to be baseball as we've seen it. Um, when you start talking about all this stuff, you realize how inadequate the owner's announcement from today actually is, where it, it, it hasn't sure. actually dealt with any of the details that are necessary for baseball to play again. Well, it's, no, dealt it's with just the watching out for they them. cared about. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just the money. Yep. <laughs> because, I mean, let's uh, yeah. be honest, that's what baseball is on a very real level to them in most ways, mm-hmm. is it's money. It's, it's money flowing into their pockets. Yep. Right. Uh, so we spent a lot of time kind of talking about the financial and, and medical aspects of this. But there are kind of also uh, finer baseball points laid out in this that I think we want to kind of get to. Um, and that includes uh, sort of the schedule that the teams are going to be playing. So this proposal from the owners would lay out sort of like what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, sort of regional play. But instead of that uh, crazy three 10 team division proposal that are saying everybody stays in your uh, six divisions, but you're only going to play teams in your division and the opposite division in the other league. So for the Brewers, that would mean there are 82 games only made up of NL central and AL central games. Right. Uh, Which is basically kind of the same schedule idea that we were kind of talking about anyway. It's just a different division layout. They kind of keep the league separate, but that would include universal DH because obviously a good chunk of your games are going to be interleague. So kind of to, to points that Brad was making previously, like maybe this is a test run for the full-time DH kind of thing. And they're also going to be expanding the playoffs to 14 teams. So (laughs) seems kind of crazy, Uh, but there's going to be an, there would be an expanded playoff system. Top seed gets a buy whole bunch of wild cards so suddenly the brewers playoff odds look a lot better in all of this (laughs) yes but the idea is still they want to get through even with the expanded playoff field they still want to get through the playoffs in the world series by the first week of november kind of in fears of that you know so-called second wave of covid that uh is kind of being projected for the fall and the winter so they want to make sure that they don't have to stop without a world series basically so um i guess first of all how do you guys feel, Paul? I guess, how do you feel about some of these ideas? All right. So I, I do think uh, the, the DH thing, I think, strikes me as weird. Um, it's a, it, I know that Manfred wants it in the game. I know a lot of people want it in the game. That's fine. I don't actually have a big opinion on the DH. I don't care that much. But it's always come with the extra roster spot. So I'm a little surprised that management is kind of so in favor of it because I feel like that just comes along with it as, as just part of it like <laughs> you, have, sure. you have to pay another guy which whatever fine um i do think this is probably the test run for it and the thing most likely to stick if this actually happens which it probably won't you're kind of teasing a patreon question we're going to get to in a second here <laughs> but that's okay but yeah uh, i i do still think the the whole division thing where you're playing people that are close to you i would like to know the detail of what problem is it solving so is the idea that they take 
buses or to like charter prop planes. Like, okay, so you go to another city, you play a team. It doesn't really matter if it's Chicago or like San Diego. You have to go to the place. You have to be around people that you're not normally around. You have to stay sure. someplace where you don't normally stay, be it a hotel or some kind of dorm that they come up with or something. And then travel back, whether it's by plane or bus or whatever. Yeah, if you charter one, that's fine. It doesn't matter how far you're going if you do that. Um, if you're taking a bus, that's a whole other load of issues. <laughs> um, I have this great picture in my mind of uh, the Brewers taking like 10 buses to socially distant drive down to Kansas City for an right? interleague series. So, that's great. How is this going to work and what problem is it going to solve? I, I'm, I'm actually not entirely sure. It seems like it. if you don't think about it that hard, it's like, Oh, yeah, I just pop down to Chicago, play a game, don't talk to anybody, get in your car, drive back. But, like, okay, fine, you can do that for Chicago. It's a little trickier for Detroit, and a little harder for Cleveland. Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh, pretty far. Um, so it doesn't actually seem to solve any problems at all, which is why I'm kind of skeptical of it, other than just geographical community. Save a couple miles, that's fine. But it's a... It, 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 it seems like a very half-assed solution to a problem. So uh, I don't believe that that'll happen. All the rest of it just seems like goofy for the sake of goofy. Like we have to figure out a way to do all this stuff. We're throwing spaghetti against the wall. Giant playoff. Let's see if that works. Baseball used to have no playoffs. Let's try a huge playoff. Fine. Whatever. Who cares? Well, I mean, it, all this stuff had been floated before, right? This is all. Yeah, none sure. of this is new. Like this was all things that the idea of radical realignment. That's old. The idea of a 14 team yep. playoff. This is old. They're using a crisis to roll out some changes that they wanted to make anyway like yeah, it, it right. fits perfectly within we've, what we've, we've been talking about this whole time that, yeah yeah you know as all these proposals come out i think the common thread has kind of been well huh, this sounds familiar the league's but you know manfred floated this two years ago this is something that they wanted to try so you know in in a year that may or may not happen why not to paul's point just introduce a bunch of wacky shit and see what sticks exactly you know? like <laughs> like uh, it's not really going to be baseball anyway screw it let's uh have like a you know arcade video game version of baseball so i i mentioned that patreon question we've got one from Asilatam. he's uh asking sort of kind of what paul was getting into out of those proposals that have been floating around for the very unique 2020 season which ones do you think likely become permanent so, Paul, you seem to think DH. Ryan, what's your thought? Yeah, I think the 14-team playoff is something that they want to get to. They want to expand that because it's big money uh, for the TV money, which is what they're ultimately after. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I hate that so much, but, you're, I mean, they definitely want extra playoff games. They want as many playoff games as possible. Mm -hmm. I do wonder if, if traditionalists get, like, get pissed off enough about that, that it doesn't work, but I don't know. Uh, that's... That's definitely too many playoff teams. <laughs> How many 78 win teams do you want in the uh -huh. postseason? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think I'm kind of with Paul on the universal DH. Um, you know, you made an interesting point on it's kind of interesting that the uh, owners are kind of springing for this now, but maybe that's sort of tied to the fact that, well, they're going to pay 30 guys on an active roster anyway. They're going to have that 20-man minor league taxi squad. So they're already paying these dudes. So you may as well just kind of throw in the DH anyway. Uh, well, and maybe they've looked at the number of I mean, I'm sure they know very well the number of dollars that have been lost, the value that has been lost to pitchers picking up uh, injuries, doing hitting things, you know, yeah, Jimmy maybe. Nelson, uh, the guy in the Yankees who was from 
Taiwan? Chinmining Wong. Chinmining yeah, Wong. Chinmining yep. Wong. I mean, there's called pretty bad. Yeah. There's enough of these out there that it because it doesn't take that many for that to start to be, you know, what what is the Brewers loss of value of Jimmy Nelson because of that injury? It might be we might be talking about $50 million worth of value lost. Like it really might be that much that they that that kind of value was lost. And if that's the case, then, you know, an extra DH for teams isn't really a lot compared to that. So. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm still not convinced that's a big enough think, loss to kind of spur that. I think it's yeah. more maybe about the TV factor, really, because if think you're trying to build a TV that. game, yeah, it's offense like and TV factor, and it's exactly, the, yeah, it's that that lame out that they don't want to have to deal with, like right. They don't they don't want you walking away from the game for Even it speeds up games, but yeah, not yeah. in an entertaining way. Exactly kind of surprised there's no like official pitch clock in these proposals but maybe that's coming down the road (laughs) (laughs) so we've got another uh patreon question from eric roll uh he's asking us if the 2020 season does likely happen without fans uh, at least at the start it's certainly going to be that way uh what are some of the ways mlb could keep fans involved and engaged whether that's you know fan generated crowd noise I don't know if that's kind of referring to the the weird NFL draft thing that they had Roger Goodell standing <laughs> in front of, um, or like different ways to watch. You know, we've seen them experiment with the Facebook and the YouTube games too. So I guess uh, w- what are some ways you could kind of see them kind of reinventing the way they portray these games? Because obviously playing without fans is going to be kind of jarring, right? I guess, Ryan, what are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've already seen, I don't know how much of the uh, KBO you guys have caught in the last week. I know in the afternoons, the replay, I've caught some of those, so I haven't watched any of it live, but you're going to see, well, they're going to have to do something with the the crowd noise because it is weird if it's silent and the KBO has kind of kept a low murmur of stuff running through the speakers, it sounds like. So there is like this (laughs) feeling, but it's it's like the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Okay. Cool. (laughs) It's not intrusive. It doesn't, you don't even really notice it, but it makes it feel more normal. Like you, when you do think about it, you go, oh yeah, okay. That seems a little more normal, but I don't see them. I mean, maybe do they, do they bring out the diamond dancers? Like, uh, the the KBO has the, the cheerleaders. I mean, maybe, I don't know. It's, they're going to, they're going (laughs) to do stuff. I, one of the things they could do to, you know, promote like interaction, but I think that this would be undercut by some of their other priorities would be, uh, making it available in like zoom format so that people can like, Hang so out with their I was, friends. I actually think that's a good idea. Um, if they like could a watch party kind of deal, right? If they right. Could do, if, also, if they could do a watch party where they uh, there's a whole bunch of legal issues with this, which is why it won't happen. But if they could sort of funnel a bunch of Zoom conversations into white noise, I actually think that would be kind of cool and work. Um, oh, you're gonna have some troublemakers with that. Obviously, oh, well, yeah. that's my one. there's there's a zillion. There's, there's, that's that's only one of the many problems with this issue. So, um, but I would like like I think it's actually a good idea outside of all of the illegal things about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, like I think that's a good idea. Um, I saw I, I think it was the, the English Premier League um, is, is charging fans to have a cardboard cutout of themselves put in the stands. Yep. Um, that's great. I like uh, that's a great. I love that. that. Like that's something I think that's worth. It's it's kind of also creepy, but I also want to see it. So, but um, I I'll, I'll also say this. Um, I a, a long time ago, many like five years ago now, I got like one of the first VR headsets. I think the I think it's the Oculus Go, and 
you can sit next to people in it. Um, they're, they're faceless weirdos in it uh, right now. But, um, and I know nobody has those because nobody likes wearing headsets at home. I don't either. I never use the thing anymore. But uh, I feel like there is a way to have like a virtual fan experience, even if you don't have like a VR thing, like along the lines of Zoom. I think you could set it up so, you know, you have that kind of your front facing watching together kind of experience. And I'd like to see them get creative with something along those lines and do some testing on that. So, um, uh, th there's some tech things you can do. It won't be the same, but uh, I hope they do get some kind of background crowd noise because I think that's the weirdest thing when it's not there. Yeah, like this one, yeah, when you've got a game in Tampa, it, it's weird to watch. It, it's uh, the Oakland know, Mausoleum. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I there's think... there's that, but the thing I was going to bring up at before was the other issue with this is. MLB doesn't want people's attention taken away from things like commercials and whatnot for their broadcasts because they're going to be relying on that to that's really the only money they're going to be making out of this. So hmm. there's there's also trickiness with that where like they don't they're not going to want to detract from like you, you said earlier, Paul, a big part of this is to put ads in front of people. This is that is the MLB largely is a ad delivery system. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes with that. I think. In my mind, uh, you know, thinking as a TV producer, I think there's an opportunity here to maybe reinvent the way that maybe TV broadcasts are delivered. I agree Whether with that's, that. You know, like that you've seen some sometimes like ESPN messing around, I guess, with the All-Star game with like mics on the players or something like that. Obviously, without fan noise, you're going to hear a lot more chatter or that kind of thing. Yeah. Like if you want just to make watch parties easier, like you have two apps right now that you need to do. You need Zoom or, you know, a Zoom like and the actual game. But like MLB has a good app, uh, one of the best. Um, if they allowed you to watch games on it, not blacked out and basically had like video game style friend codes on it where you could just dial somebody into this like a sidebar um, and watch with them. That would go a long way towards making this a lot more fan friendly. Um, I think that's a good idea. And that technology obviously exists. Like um, Fortnite is based around its existence and is the most popular video game basically ever. So it's an easy thing to relatively easy thing to do. I know it's not an overnight thing, but it's pretty simple. Yeah, I think you could. I, I at least hope that they kind of just play around kind of with the production of this, of these yeah. things and kind of make them more like, uh, you know, you can make it more like a, a TV show than an actual sporting event because so much of sports is kind of derived on the fan interaction and the crowd noise and the, the reactions yeah. you get when something big happens. Right. So I think that's kind of what some other aspects, you know, like I know WWE has been doing like the shows without fans and it's just weird to watch. They've, they're <laughs> bombing hard by the way. They and they are. are. Yeah. Their, their ratings are kind of dropping to all time lows. Like yeah. God bless them. They're trying to still provide entertainment, but you know, I think they also had an opportunity to kind of reinvent the way that they do things, kind of shoot it more like a drama. That's getting into the nerdy stuff. I don't need to talk about here, but you know, like it, it, it kind of just shows though, uh, the, the, um, struggle without fan participation i think a lot of people might watch you know you're gonna have when games come back the thing of awesome baseball's back i can't wait to watch this and then by the second or third game you're kind of like oh this is kind of just watching baseball practice right without the fan noise kind of thing so i think yeah a lot of ideas here that are kind of good to get that going and and kind of find some way to participate with each other you know um is is going to be kind of the the way forward so the other big news of the week 
before the owner's announcement, I thought we we're going to spend a lot more time talking about this, but the 2020 draft is officially only going to be five rounds this year. Speaking of owners taking every time <laughs> that they can. So the draft will be limited to five rounds. There was a proposal for 10 rounds that was kind of reportedly supported by GMs and scouting types, that kind of thing, because, you know, they want to still make sure they have good players in their farm system. Yeah. But reportedly, it was the owners that pushed for only five. And the major catch here is that undrafted players are only going to be limited to a $20,000 signing bonus, which means nobody worth a damn is going to be signing as an undrafted free agent. If you want to sake a comparison, the slot value for the last pick in the draft, so the last pick of round five, is $324,100. So that's a $300,000 drop-off. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about it's about, what, 3% of the value of the last draft pick? Right. So, like, there's... We can get more into this, but there's no chance in hell anybody worth anything is going to be signing. It's not a cap. I don't even know what to call it. It's a ban. It is, is essentially a ban on good players signing outside of the draft. That's, that's all it is. Right. Uh, so to dive further into the financials of this, uh, Baseball America did some numbers crunching. They estimate the f- difference between five and ten rounds. Save the owners uh, roughly $29.5 million. So another cool million in the pocket of the owners per team basically scott boris had a great quote kind of uh getting at what paul was hinting at his quote was just put up a billboard saying quit after little league because that's basically the message that they're sending to young baseball players everywhere i guess uh paul you clearly have <laughs> thoughts on this how bad of an idea is this uh, i mean it accomplishes exactly what they wanted to accomplish but it's terrible for the game uh it's terrible for growth of the game the game itself it, it's it's going to punish a whole bunch of people who just happen to become of age to be drafted in baseball at exactly the wrong time. And are going to be forced into less than ideal situations. It it's ridiculous. I mean, sure. Maybe you think that the normal draft is too long and whatever, but like five rounds is stupid. There's more quality baseball players than that, but we have a good idea of what their value is Uh, kind of, because even the 300,000 is a, is a non-market value. It, that guy would probably make more money in a totally free market than in the capped draft system that we actually have. So, yeah, this saves money, but it's it's bad for this year. It's bad for the game going forward. Scott Boris is right about this. It it's far too short and it's ridiculous. And that twenty thousand dollar cap, like it it is an admission that it's too short because it is literally a ban on paying extra money for good players. That's all it is. It's it's not a cap. Like nobody will sign for it, so it's not actually a thing. It it is they, they what they should have said is we'll do five rounds of drafting, and after that nobody's allowed to sign anybody else because that's exactly what the situation is. So Keith Law wrote a lot of that in his piece on the Athletic about this, and so I would highly recommend if you are a subscriber. And also the Athletic is still doing its free ninety day thing, so you can go listen to that or read it a deal for, for free anyway. So I would highly recommend that. And yeah, it really is nakedly that. And the thing is, there will be a lot of people that will actually sign for that twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, plenty of who are worth twenty thousand dollars, like people who are yeah who are (laughs) worth twenty thousand dollars or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I think the more insidious thing is the guys who are worth fifty thousand dollars or the guys who are worth seventy five thousand dollars may look at this as well. It's better than nothing. It's better than not having a guarantee of anything, especially people that are in a more precarious financial situation. People that come from more money. And and aren't necessarily as worried about that. Maybe it is a way for them to, you know, they they'll back off. But for the people that uh, that really need that money, 
they'll take it. And I think it's also worth noting in that original deal that was struck back in March between the MLBPA and MLB, which allowed part of the deal was that they were allowed to do this, that MLB Mm -hmm. was going to be allowed to go as few as five rounds. And Mm -hmm. that's what those hard line, the owners ended up pushing for. They had already agreed to do reduced bonuses in terms of, I'm sorry, deferred bonuses. So a bunch of these bonuses are, these aren't even going to be paid this year. Like guys who get that first number or whatever, that first, the first draft pick will probably be Spencer Torkelson from ASU. He's not going to get this money up front in the way that he before would have. Now there was always been some deferment of draft bonuses. That's always been part of the deal, but this is even more so than what is normal. So they're already deferring bonuses to, you know, hopefully sunnier days down the road. So this is just really, yeah, it's a naked cash grab by MLB, again, using the the people who are the most vulnerable and the ones who are easiest to screw out of money because they're not represented by the union. And the union didn't do them a ton of favors here. But remember, the union also did last week, they did throw up bit of a, a fuss about this and and the reason that owners just went ahead with, with this unilaterally was because the union said no you can't do some of the things they wanted to do which was hard capping the back end of the draft mm-hmm. they were hoping to to hard cap it so that's that was something the players weren't going to agree to so they just went ahead and did basically the most the most aggressive thing they could do here uh brad and i will talk about this we're going to be doing another minor league extra because we were a month behind we're going to be doing another one later this week, and we'll go deep into this. You know, Brad will have thoughts on this. So I was just going to say, yeah, Brad. Brad's going to—he's not here today. Uh, if he was, this would be a three-hour podcast on this topic alone. <laughs> uh, the the minor league extra might be two or three hours, but uh, you both are going to have a lot more to talk about in terms of what the ripple effect looks like for the minor league systems, kind of you know, what the future of amateur baseball looks like too. Uh, but we did have one Patreon question that we'll, we'll use here uh, from Jay Google, uh, basically asking how bad did the college players get screwed uh, because of this draft this year go, and even going forward, CBA coming up next year. It's not a great time to be, say, a college junior right now, Paul. Uh, yeah, a lot is the answer. They've, they've been screwed a lot. <laughs> um, anybody who's in that... Um, if if you've already jumped to college and you know foregone going pro at this point, you are about to hit a giant nebulous um, space where you're not going to be able to get even not fair value, but even what you would normally get. Um, and it's very very um, up in the air. Um, and uh, you know once you're done with college, you're done with college. Like <laughs> if you're if you're a junior, you can play your senior year. Um, but even then, there might not be anything to do. You might have to go out and get a job or go to one of the foreign leagues or, um, you know, something that you were not thinking you were going to have to do. So, well, they MLB got a big favor here from the NCAA. All seniors who are playing this spring are eligible to come back for another year next year. That's and that is great. But there's no guarantee. There's the labor strife coming up, too. Right. So, oh, no, well, I'm just saying that six year senior kind of feel this, exactly. this yeah. made it and, possible for them to do it because otherwise this was going to be trickier. But yep. that that decision by the NCAA, though, I think the NCAA probably did the right thing there from their perspective, which was let guys, you know, come back and complete their careers in a in a way of more fitting than this abrupt end that they had. It's still from MLB's perspective is great because they those players can go back there, play for free again and get eyes on them and be rescouted and have all of that still happen. And then 
MLB can pick and choose. And remember, we talked about this on the minor league extra last week, but remember MLB is already like the, the agreement with MILB is apparently pretty much done. We know that they're going to be cutting about 40 teams. Yep. So also keep this in mind. If, if you're a player in college right now and there is a lockout or strike or whatever, um, your value is just killed when it, when the game comes back, you'll be competing with people who are in college and graduating fresh with fresh eyes on them. Um, you will not get as much money as you did before. If there's a gap um, and there is one more year of um, actually, um, you know, drafts occurring like regular and labor strife is another year out. Um, you are squeezed because you got to act now and you got to go. Um, any options that you may have had to jump to college for a little bit are very nebulous. Um, any, or, uh, you know, if you are, junior going into a senior year um you might have to jump and there's going to be more competition for your services you'll get pushed down you will not make as much either so this is bad all around it's just whatever degree of bad actually it is is still you know up in the air but you're just in a your best case scenario is not nearly as good as you know pre-covid just graduating like normal it's much worse oh yeah and it's a simple supply and demand issue too like exactly there are going to be right. so many more available players for next summer for the draft that that is going to put them in in steeper competition with each other fighting between next year's juniors next year's seniors and next year's super seniors like you just have this extra group of people that are going to be fighting out especially for fewer jobs that are available in those areas like uh the the short season leagues because there's going to be fewer short season ball teams so there's a bunch of jobs going away and on top of that there's also you know going to be more people competing for fewer jobs so it's going to be rough yeah i think uh speaking of things uh from this summer that'll probably be carried forward i think uh 40 round draft is definitely dead forever right like (laughs) i don't see that ever coming back and you know i I wouldn't be surprised if the next CBA or even like next year, they say, well, we'll do 20 instead because we're cutting 40 teams. We don't need 40 rounds. Right. And that was part of the plan to begin with too, James. Like that was always exactly that was part of the deal. They've been talking about this before COVID ever became a thing. So exactly. Again, kind of bringing up that idea of taking advantage of the moment. Another thing that might not help the popularity of baseball kind of around the world, especially with amateurs, uh, well, at least getting young folks interested in the game. Uh, they also announced today that the 2021 World Baseball Classic uh, postponed until 2023. So I I know the WBC is sort of like a whatever thing for a lot of people. I personally love it because I just, you know, I, I've always like loved the Olympics and that kind of like uh, national competition World Cup feel, uh, especially with the WBC. You get kind of the, the crazy crowd. Uh following especially for a lot of the latin american companies is just or countries it's a it's a lot of fun um i'm kind of kind of be bummed to see it not be there uh, i know christian yelich was a member of team usa so there was a brewer tie there i guess either of you any thoughts on no world baseball classic for at least the next few years i mean the qualifying was going on when covid hit so they weren't even able to finish qualifying so going on and doing it next year as planned was always going to be really tough because they yeah. didn't even have the qualifying process for the non, you know, the big, the big boys, the Dominican Republic, the United States, those countries are in regardless, but the qualifying process for the smaller countries, you know, something they weren't even able to do. So this was inevitable to happen and it does suck because it's a good pageant and it does 
increase the game's international appeal, which should be a huge, huge priority for baseball right now. Because in the United States, it's not as popular as it has been at most points in the past. So it really should be a priority of theirs. But, you know, that's that's how things go. Pushing that makes sense. Like, it's a big international company. This is not like scheduling, you know, the Midwest road trip. This is coordinating a whole bunch of different people with different healthcare systems and different impacts and it, you know, it, it is a special event anyway. It, it, there's no reason it has to stay on its prescribed schedule. It's pretty new. Uh, kick it out a few years till everything's better, and it'll be a better event. So this is fine. Uh, it's, bad, it's bad when anything gets canceled because of this, because that sucks. But um, this seems like an easy thing to move, and then you can have it as a big reintroduction to baseball being normal for the world or something like that. So it's it's fine. Sure. I've said it before, but baseball loves pageantry and, and big reveals, right? So 4th of July opening day and World Baseball Classic in 2023. There you go. With that in mind, uh, that's kind of all the news that we wanted to cover today. But well, we mentioned it at the start of the podcast, a new minor league extra coming out soon. Uh, Ryan and Brad got the chance to talk with a recent Brewers draftee, Nick Bennett. Uh, so he was drafted in 2019, right, Ryan? Uh, so pretty recent. Yeah, and that uh, one is actually already up for Patreon subscribers. That is the April one that had to wait ah. until early May. The May one will be in May, and that's coming up this week. So Coming up, talking about the draft. Uh, yeah, so we still wanted to give you a preview of that interview with Nick Bennett, kind of give you a, a taste of that and, and kind of see what you're missing behind the paywall. So we'll, we're going to play a clip of that right now. Last year, you hit the ground running pretty much when you got to pro ball, uh, posting a 191 ERA. It's striking out 43, walking only 10, over 33 innings at a couple stops. What sorts of adjustments did you make moving from college ball to pro ball? Or was it pretty much kind of um, do the same stuff at that point? I think the biggest thing for me going from college baseball to pro ball was um, – calling my own pitches and figuring that out on my own a hundred percent, you know, um, looking at hitters tendencies and seeing what they like and dislike and being able to uh, pinpoint that for myself when I'm on the mound. And um, I think being able to know what pitches to throw and what counts and, you know, all that stuff can get uh, can kind of get put to the side sometimes in college when you have a coach calling your pitches for you, you know, it's just kind of what he calls you throw type deal. And sometimes a shake off here and there, but um, you know, you just kind of trust his plan because you and him are on the same page for the most part. So I think going into uh, rookie ball and then moving to Wisconsin was kind of um, dealing with how I was going to approach hitters and work against hitters and what my plan was for myself. So is that something that you talked about with like your catchers, coaching staff? Was there like front office um, people involved or I talked, I talked to my catcher a little bit about how I want to approach guys. Like, so I didn't, um, so obviously being the new guy, you don't know everybody and whatnot, but, um, I quickly developed relationships with my catchers to be able to express and talk to them about what they see and what I see and how they like approaching hitters and what they like doing too. And, uh, you know, they're very, very laid back and they're, they're like, Hey, if you want to shake off, shake off all that. So, uh, they're really good with that stuff, definitely. And, uh, you know, I feel like I was on the same page as them for a lot of the time during that summer last year. At that level, does the team provide some advanced scouting information 
like some oh, yeah. video oh, yeah. and things? Okay. Uh, yes. Um, we get like uh, heat maps, which are like places or like spots in the zone, hit like the pitchings, like the uh, strike zone where hitters like it, where they don't like it, batting averages in certain spots, all kinds of stuff like that. It's, it's very advanced. I didn't get that in college. So getting to see that was like a huge benefit for me and something I really enjoyed looking at and uh, using because uh, obviously if you can get an advantage in any way, obviously it's very beneficial. So that worked out really well for me. And was that more prominent in Wisconsin than it was in Arizona? Yes. Yes. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense considering Wisconsin players for the most part at that league are well-established or have at least some time in the, in the Uh, minors. Right. We, we also, we had that in uh, Colorado Springs as well, but it definitely, we, once I got to Wisconsin, like before we would start a series against the team, we had a pitchers meeting about all of that stuff. So um, I could definitely tell it was more involved there, but um, they did a good job of it in Colorado as well. So did you attend the Instructs last fall? And if so, what was that like? Uh, I did not attend that. Um, So I actually, during my whole summer when I was playing in Colorado and Wisconsin, I was taking online classes for college. And then this past fall, I went back to school and uh, did an internship with my baseball coach and also took classes. And then actually, I just graduated from the University of Louisville three days ago. So. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank That's you very, very cool. Thank yeah, you. especially Thank to get you. to do that at, while uh, still being a professional. That's awesome. Exactly. Uh, you know, um, I talked to my mom and dad about it, and they were like, you know, you can take some time off from school and come back and do it. And I, I kind of told myself, like, let's just get it out of the way now because I'm not going to – I'm not going to – I'm not going to come back and do it. So I'm just going to grind it out now while I've been doing school. And so I just continued each semester and now I'm officially done. So, so Spencer Michaelis asks, uh, did you get to spend any time in the much vaunted pitching lab that the brewers have down in Maryville before everything got shut down? Absolutely. That, that that pitching lab is amazing. Uh, You know, there's so much technology going into pitching and hitting and just baseball in general nowadays. And, we had, we had that kind of stuff at Louisville too, you know, um, our coaches at Louisville and our, uh, just our guys who knew all of that type of stuff, analytical information. We had that, but not as much as we did once I got to spring training. Um, so I did, I did get, um, the dots all over me, uh, in the pitching lab and, uh, you know, they got a um, they got like a uh, a look at what my body does when I'm throwing and what my arm does. It's really cool. Um, it was it was a really enjoyable experience. I've actually done it twice. The other time I did it was right when I got drafted. I went out to Arizona to um, take my physical and do all of that as well. And I actually threw a bullpen in there uh, before I left for Colorado. So I've been in there before and I think it gets cooler every time I go in that in the lab. So, yeah, they're very secretive when, about that, aren't they? Like they don't yeah, they uh, they want people yeah. to know that they're doing it. That it's like right. this big we, deal. We, we don't we don't we don't want people to know what we have in our lab because <laughs> all of a sudden we're uh, we're pulling out pitchers doing incredible stuff, and some of that stuff has to do with the lab. So uh, yeah, so we we keep it pretty quiet about the lab. <laughs> 
<laughs> when you're going through the lab, is the team giving you specific stuff to look at and think about, or is it more of allowing you to work on yourself and discover things about yourself as a pitcher? It's definitely a little bit of both. Um, our analytical team for uh, the minor leagues and the big leagues is just incredible. Um, when you go in the lab, uh, there's a whole analytical team in there so, so, who obviously knows way more about it than any of us pitchers because um, that, that's their job and pitching's our job. So um, they help us out a ton with like what stuff we – they kind of uh, take it and talk to the pitching coaches about it, and then the pitching coaches kind of uh, bring it to us and talk to us about it. So. Definitely interesting stuff there. Reminder, if you want to get that full interview, you can become a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Sign up for the level that gets you the minor league extra podcast every month with Ryan and Brad. And if you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, our podcast, the MKE tailgate podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else that you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review and help other people find us and let us uh, get the word out. Uh, you can also follow all of us on Twitter. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. And I'm at James L. That's James with a Y. Until next time, stay well, everybody. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Fair As we mentioned at the start of the show, uh, new minor league extra podcast dropping with Brian and Red, and they've got an. I'll start that over, Brian and Red. Uh, <laughs> okay, One. you can tell I'm getting Brian and Red in the morning. Brian and Red, uh, you can tell I'm getting to the point of the day where I'm just fried, and I worked the overnight yesterday too. Okay, Brian and Red uh, is definitely going to be. I'm putting Brian this on the end. I'm putting this at the end of <laughs> the podcast. Brian and Red. Okay, <laughs> we'll go three, two. One. We mentioned at the start of the pod that there was going to be a new minor league extra podcast with Brian. That's yeah, this is all going on the end. <laughs> Keep it clean because this is staying in. <laughs> this is this is why we don't do these in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Three, two, one.